Hey everybody, this is Alex. Hey, it's Natasha. And we are here to talk just for a second about Extra Crunch TechCrunch's subscription product. Extra Crunch is where a lot of our best analysis and follow-up stories lives. We focus a lot on startups, building, and even poke fun here and there. It's true. I also write a daily column called The Exchange that's over on Extra Crunch. And the good news is, if you don't have EC access yet, we have a deal for you. Yes, you can use, I think, the best code there is. So don't tell anyone who doesn't listen to Equity because they're not invited. The code is equity, all caps, for 50% off your Extra Crunch subscription. So head over to techcrunch.com slash subscribe. Use that code. Make us look good internally. We say thanks across the internet. And now let's do a show. Hello and welcome to an equity shot. I'm Natasha Mascarenas with the most exciting Slack message you will probably get all year, indeed, Salesforce's purchase of Slack. Joining me is Danny Crichton, TechCrunch's managing editor. How are you, Danny? I'm very behind because I didn't look at Slack all day. (laughs) It's perfect. Perfectly timed episode in that case. I am also joined by Alex Wilhelm, reporter at TC. Alex, how's it going? I'm good. I'm, I'm hype. I love days like this. I love news. I love when things happen. I love when things change. So Natasha, I am uh, overly caffeinated and 100% here. It is so fun to be at a publication like TechCrunch at this time because it's just you see all these nerds pretending like it's Christmas the moment a deal goes through. And I didn't know two years ago that I would be in this spot. Pretending this is Christmas. Forget the 25th, (laughs) December 1st, man. So today we're going to talk about, of course, the deal, but also get into why in the world Salesforce would do this. Is Slack a horrible company? And that's why it got bought. And what does it mean for shareholders? How is the market reacting in this very moment? I want to start by asking both of you, both literally and figuratively, how big of a deal this actually is. It just broke. We have the numbers. Alex, maybe start us off. The dollar amount's big. I mean, just flat out, $27.7 billion, uh, inclusive of both cash and stock. Mostly, it appears, cash for shares is my read of this. But again, we're still parsing all the minutia, but it's cash and stock. The dollar amount's massive. Uh, on the strategic side, it's a really interesting thing for two reasons. One, we're going to see Salesforce go back up against Microsoft, a company that it's had a love-hate relationship with for as long as I've known both the companies. So forget the Benioff, Satya, handshaky, you know, photos they do of themselves every once in a while. They just bought a rival to Microsoft Teams, which is a key plank in the kind of current Microsoft software push. I think it opens a key question for enterprise startups, which is, can you survive well as an indie public company when platform players like Microsoft are in your space? Is there room in the market for startups to go public and stay indie? I think it's big, big and a big question mark. Danny, you're just catching up. Coming in hot. Tell us what you think. I mean, I, I think it's the first major social acquisition since Microsoft acquired LinkedIn in mid-2016. So that acquisition was $26.2 billion. So I, I think it's interesting that, you know, you have another large kind of sales-driven organization buying a sort of social collaboration outreach tool. And, and in some ways, they're like quite similar. So I, I think it's extremely exciting. I, I don't actually think it's a very positive story. I think Slack actually ran into an enormous amount of interference. We can talk about that more. That said, I, I'm not as, as depressed about the situation as maybe Alex is over this whole indie thing. Like Slack was an indie company. It started as tiny spec, started as a game studio, became a, a, a multinational massive like success story and just sold for what, $27 billion. 
what more could you ask for? I mean, this is an amazing success story. And in my view, it just shows that there's real money to be made building tools that can be bolted on to platforms like Google Docs, Microsoft 360, Office 365, and others. I definitely want to talk about the Microsoft dynamic in a little bit, because there is the question of, as an early stage startup, can what if Microsoft just builds this? And I think we should definitely talk about that. But I do want to get into the fact that we've heard about the deal since last week, pre-Thanksgiving, which was horrible for all tech crunch or all tech reporters to get such a crazy rumor. How did the stock market first react when we started getting hints that this deal was going to potentially happen? So two things happened right away. One of which was that Salesforce's share price exploded like 25% in a day. It, it's up about 48, 49% from kind of pre-news price today. But I mean, everyone was immediately stoked that Salesforce was going to rock up with an enormous dump truck of cash and pour it all over Stuart Butterfield and, and his extended corporate family. On the other hand, Salesforce investors were like, oh crap, we're about to back up a truck full of cash and drop it all over Stuart Butterfield and his corporate family. And so Salesforce's stock dropped by like three to five points was off a little bit today after actually beating kind of market expectations for its fiscal Q3 2021 earnings report. So I think that there's doubt and a little ambiguity on the Salesforce investor side and a lot of hype by Slack investors who just got a big paycheck for holding on to that equity during a more, uh, I don't know, as Danny kind of intimated, difficult period for Slack after a long time of being kind of the golden child of SaaS and startups. Yeah, I think something that I'm curious about is what does this mean for people who invested in Slack and kind of expected to have shares of a company that would have a much longer public life? Slack went public a little over a year ago. And to be sold this early into your life as a public company, what does that mean for shareholders going forward? Yeah, I mean, look, you're, you're, you know, it's a cash and stock deal. So, you know, if you're an existing shareholder of, of Slack, uh, I mean, you're technically getting cash or you're, you're, you know, not literally going to get a, probably a check in the mail. But, you know, the argument is, is should you buy into to Salesforce, right? Do you keep right. with the company? It's going to Salesforce. And I, I think the question is, is really, you know, I hate, I hate to use the word, but synergy. When you look at Salesforce, how much does Salesforce and the platform of Salesforce going to interoperate with Slack to make them better than the sum of its parts. You know, if you believe that Slack is going to glue a lot more pieces, parts of, of Salesforce's products together, uh, then you should be a bullish on the company. In fact, it's going to be far stronger and you're getting it at a discount. I'm a little bit more, let's call it analytically neutral. I mean, uh, you know, Salesforce has for a long time tried to do stuff in the productivity and, and collaboration space. I believe there was Quip, if I recall, was it Quip or Quibi? No, no, Quibi, <laughs> that's it was, it was a bad Quip. Q-U-I-P. Yes, yeah, that's too close to other Isn't companies. is that a toothbrush that... brand? <laughs> It's, it's also it, a toothbrush brand. It's also a toothbrush brand, <laughs> I love but startups. the toothbrush. I mean, maybe Benioff needs to brush his teeth more often or something like that as well. But Salesforce has for years tried to do a lot in collaboration and and it is a collaborative platform in and of itself, but it is not in my view really owned the productivity collaboration space. It does not own the no-code space. These are yeah. things that it just does not have success in in the past. So the question for me is, you know, does Slack give them the entryway you know, the core ingredient, the core kind of infrastructure to say, now that we have Slack and everyone's built on top of this communications platform, you know, can the rest of Salesforce go on top of that? On the other side of this, I just had a, um, an extra crunch live with uh, Jay Das from Sapphire Ventures. And the reason why I bring that up is Jay was an investor in two companies that Salesforce bought, uh, MuleSoft and Exact Targets. So I literally had the guy an hour before this dropped, as opposed to an hour after this dropped. So it was perfectly poorly timed to have all the information that I needed. But I asked him, I'm like, you know, why would Slack do this if the deal is announced at the end of our chat like we expect? And he was like, look, if you're Slack, 
especially during the pandemic, it's relatively hard to get in front of all the executives you want to get in front of to sell your product. You're just not that big. But if you're with Salesforce, they already have all those relationships with CIOs, CEOs, they can get in the room and all of a sudden doors are unlocked for you. And my corollary to this is that this is what Microsoft has been doing with teams. They've been running around with, as, with it as a part of Microsoft 365, the rebrand of Office 365, and they've been just landing big enterprise deals. Maybe Slack just couldn't compete with that and needed a way to bring its product to market in a way that it just, you know, it couldn't buy with with kind of epic cash supply that it had post direct listing. But I think I think what Danny's missing in his astute analysis of it not being that bad, it's $27.7 billion. True. For a failed game company, that's probably the all-time best result. I've never heard of one that's better than that. But what Did he's Nukem Forever, I think, sold for $40 billion to uh to some company, Acer. Acer is a PC manufacturer. Yeah. No, then Acer then, never then, had $40 billion to buy Duke Nukem. Have you played Duke Nukem? That game is worth $40. Anyways, <laughs> Anyways what Danny is missing is the romance of the independent company. Because what I think we're we're seeing increasingly, and I don't mean to sound like Congress is that there does seem to be a rising tier of companies at the top of the tech industry that can effectively win certain segments. Because if there was going to be a company to really challenge Microsoft's enterprise dominance in software, it was going to be Slack. This was the breakout fucking win. And now it works for Mark Benioff. I mean, that just to me... It's great. Yeah, it's money. Woo. But I mean, like, dear Lord, I had higher hopes because this was supposed to be the start. I, I will say on the same front there. I mean, I remember Slack five, six years ago talking about like the Slack operating system, right? That they were going to be this platform, the app store, everything else altogether. I don't want to say that failed. I, I just think that at some point you have to realize, you know, it's IRC chat, right? It's just it's just a social platform. And at the end of the day, it's not a place where people did work, so to speak. It was a place where you communicated about work. And that's where the, potentially the success of where this is going to go forward is now there's actual work products near and connected and integrated into Slack in a way that there wasn't before. This kind of brings us to the conversation that we're all talking about from a high level right now, which is why? Why is Slack and why did Slack end up going this route? You know, if you asked me in March what two companies I expected to be the strongest going forward, it would be Zoom and Slack. And I think that's why I'm surprised by the deal is like, Zoom was the success story and Slack should have also been the success story. I think, Alex, me and you wrote that story in the beginning that they landed 7,000 paying customers in just seven weeks. And so where did the tides change? I think to understand that, it's, it's, I think the right question to ask, what happened to all that momentum when Slack looked like it was going to be unstoppable? If you recall, like they dropped some news about growth, Teams dropped some news about growth, Slack turned around, dropped more news about growth. It was fun to watch. If you're outside these companies like we are, that's a lot of data in a short period of time, which is what we love. Uh, but if you go back and read Slack's last earnings report, they will report earnings on December 9th. So we don't have their through October performance. But for the first six months of the year through July 31, they said, look, we experienced an acceleration in our paid customer growth during that six-month period. However, the rate of growth of total organizations on Slack has reverted to a level more in line with trends we experienced before COVID. So even in that July quarter, they were seeing a reversion to the mean. And I think that's an issue. I think we also saw this similarly. Zoom seemed to survive this pattern better. But, you know, for instance, Google offered its Google Meet product, you know, not just to all organizations, but also to consumers as well. And you, you always have to remember that this is this is like a free bolt-on to products that people already have. You know, here at, at, at TechCrunch and our parent company, you know, we're all in Google Docs. We don't have any Microsoft. We're not allowed to have Microsoft. We don't have Excel here. 
We're not allowed to have Excel. Boo. 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 Um, I'm not saying anything, so I keep my job. You know, if you're the CFO of Verizon, <laughs> you pay attention to us. But let me tell you, you know, the reality is, it's like we use the products that we're given and it's super cheap and effective when you're already getting 90% of a platform, you might as well bring the rest of it on here. And so I, this maybe goes to Alex's earlier point. It is hard to be indie, but it's only hard to be indie in the specific kind of non-verticalized, you know, integrationist SaaS place. You know, Slack requires the rest of the suite. Whereas, you know, if you were to do a, a vertical SaaS in HR processing or something like that, we have 150 of those and none of them are integrated. And trust me, I can tell you, they are not integrated. I spent half my day getting data out of one vertical SaaS product out of Okta into another one. So <laughs> I, to me, I think this is a good success story for Slack. It doesn't say a lot about the other vertical SaaS plays out there. Uh, but one thing I do want to know, because I think we skipped it in the docs, I do want to talk a little bit about SoftBank because Natasha, you, you found out on the interwebs that they apparently did quite well. Yeah, I think, Alex, you saw the tweet, but Austin Reef of Morning Brew kind of found this interesting nugget, which is that SoftBank had invested $355 million in 2017 or 2018 into Slack. And now with this deal, that same number is worth between $1 and $1.7 billion. You know, it, it, it's amusing to me because when I think of the Vision Fund, we always think of like WeWork and all these other companies. The actual secret to Vision Fund's returns is actually they buy shares on the public markets really intelligently. So as an example, they used to own 4.9% of NVIDIA, went through the bubble crash, right. sold it for a $3.3 billion return on their original investment. You know, they always seem to get like the public equity side of things correct. It's always the growth things that are going wrong. So, you know, another actual point here of like, maybe they should just invest after companies go public. I never thought I'd say this, but maybe the Vision Fund is like the inverse of Wall Street bets when it comes to making public stock picks. <laughs> oh, no. There's a New Yorker piece turning somewhere right yeah. now. Oh, God. Did you guys see that New Yorker piece on venture capital? I got I got paywall blocked, but I read part of it. It was terrible. Oh, oh. oh and Danny, Danny Crichton has the actual physical copy. Sitting on the desk and it's sitting in the pile of New Yorkers. I'm sorry that we're not shooting video today because you could have seen Danny break out his uh, <laughs> his uh, intellectual ploy there to try to wow his, his friends. <laughs> He's like, this one? Okay. It's like, oh, uh, yeah, I have it right here. Of course, the person saying that has a bookshelf behind them that has at least 500 volumes. So uh, F you, but um, I, <laughs> I'll slack you some details later. We can take it offline. Uh, thank you, sir. Thank you. But what a back to Slack, let's, let's, uh, you know, what, what else here is interesting though? I mean, we've had a week. I mean, I gotta be honest. Like I heard this news and I was like, I'm not going to walk home faster from the cookie shop just to be able to talk about this faster. Um, <laughs> granted they're really amazing cookies. The, the double chocolate chip cookie is just phenomenal, but nonetheless, like what else is interesting here? I mean, this sort of was expected. We've kind of, it's been bubbling for a couple months. Like what else do we see? I'm going to try and translate this well. So if I don't Give me a break. But I think a lot of the remote work seed stage startups, when I ask them, how are you going to stay important once offices reopen? They always say Slack. They always say you enter an office, everyone has Slack open. It's the success story and it's why we're going to be successful because this product is just that good. While them selling to Salesforce doesn't mean that Slack failed necessarily, we might see a little bit more conservatism and how big the market reach can be for these companies, because I think that it used to just be like they were the they, they're a public company and are maybe aren't the highest valued public company out there, but they are one and we can kind of rest our mantle on that. So I imagine that seed stage startups are taking this with just a little bit of just a little bit of a cool down. Yeah, I can see that. I, I, I think VCs are going to be hesitant to admit that. I think they're not going to want to cast any cold water on a sector they put a lot of money into. 
vertical SaaS, I think, will be completely un, un, undamaged, I think, as Danny made the earlier point. But what's interesting is what Salesforce has done with this deal. And I just found this out when I covered, I did a short post for TC on Salesforce's earnings. And if you look at their growth rates, there's an interesting trend that I first actually misread and almost published an article that was wrong about. They are going to grow about 17% in the current quarter. And they're going to grow about 17% in the next quarter, which is the start of their fiscal 22. And they said that they're going to grow 21% in their fiscal 22. And I was like, how do you go from 17, 17 to 22? Because that's a big jump at a company doing 21, $22 billion of, of annual run rate. And it, they baked and slacked that. So what Salesforce has really done is not only cease its growth slowdown in percentage terms, they have bought a revenue acceleration that I think is material to their goals. And one, one little data point, and I don't bring this up to be rude to our extra crunch live guest, Jay, but he was talking about the nuances of selling to, you know, to a big company. And, you know, well, if you get half of it in stock and then that company grows at 30% a year forever, then you probably do very well anyways. And he kept talking about, you know, Salesforce growing around 30%. It's growing around 20%. That's a lot slower. And so maybe Salesforce was looking around for a place to deploy its heft in, you know, wealth and, and market cap terms. And this was a place it thought it could add real value and grow more quickly. And if so, that says a little bit about Salesforce's core business and the maturity of the broader CRM market. And that might have some impacts on the start space. And Danny's eyebrows just shot up. So Danny, what have I gotten wrong? No, you didn't get anything wrong. I think that's exactly right. Look, I would I would actually double down and say, you know, if you look into the CRM market, which which is the stock ticker, ultimately Salesforce is a CRM, right? And they compete with Microsoft Dynamics and, and a bunch of other players in the space. This to me is an augmentation to actually heighten the competition between you know, Microsoft CRM and, and Salesforce CRM. So I actually take it as a, a very strong ploy. I think if you're looking for an exit into this market, there are now not like maybe one or one and a half, but there's now two fully able competitors willing to double down a huge amount. And and as Ron Miller, our, our colleague, described on Monday when we were still waiting around to see like if this is actually going to happen and blah, 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 blah. You know, Salesforce has an, an incredibly long history of actually buying companies for growth. You know, they bought Exact Target. Mm -hmm for a few billion out of, I want to say Indiana, somewhere in Indiana, one of those cities. Uh, Indianapolis, I think, is the major city in Indiana. Indiana is a state. Indiana is a state, but uh, what are the cities in Indiana? I think it's Indianapolis is, is sure. where they are from. You know, they've bought out a, a bunch of other uh, huge companies over the years. Salesforce, I think, is going to continue to do large bet kind of acquisitions. They're not doing these tuck-ins. And we've seen a similar pattern elsewhere. Like this year, we saw with Palo Alto Networks, they bought, I think it was called Expanse Security for nearly a billion dollars getting up that direction, which was one of the largest, if not the largest that Palo Alto Networks has ever done. And for them, they have traditionally done smaller acquisitions, a bunch of really small where they kind of plug it into their channel and sell. So to me, I, I think this is a story of big companies with a lot of money, low interest rate environments, slower growth. What do you do? You go out and you try to find more things to bolt on to sell, to add to the growth story. And what's fascinating about that is it seems counterintuitive because why would you go hunting when things are so expensive? But if you can buy growth, you get that same multiple attached to your revenue gains. And so you're essentially playing the game, but it's not really overpaying so long as multiples stay high. Now, if after this deal close, SaaS multiples drop by 50%, it's going to be a mess. I keep thinking about how 2021 will be an even crazier year. And so this conversation will definitely continue. I think that's all we have for today, though. We saw Slack go from the failed gaming company to now to, the, to a unicorn, to a public company, to now a Salesforce company. So a lot to talk about. We will see you all on Thursday. Thank you so much, Alex, Danny and Chris. 
Okay, Natasha, uh, you ready? Everybody yes. ready? Is anyone not ready? I mean, I mean, I'm not ready. Are we but, ever? Yeah, good. Go I, that's a, I think that's so where we should be. We're at the right spot. We're alive.